week's VFX show. I'm Mike Seymour and joined uh, by some new friends, some old friends. Well, not so much new friends so much as uh, returning friends, I should probably say. Let's start with um, my good friend, Jason Diamond. How are you, Jason? I'm great. Now, somebody suggested last week that I don't uh, explain where you guys are from enough. So, um, would you like to paraphrase uh, what your uh, your day job is when you're not on the show? I mean, I would describe you as a, a filmmaker, first and foremost, but... Um, uh, for those that are listening, uh, yeah, I'm I'm a uh, married man from Queens, New York, uh, and I uh, have a, a production company with my brother Josh, and we are the Diamond Brothers. Uh, we produce and direct uh, music videos, commercials, short films. We're in the process of uh, we just did some our first VR shooting and moving into feature films so one of the reasons we love having jason uh on the show is he has uh not only a very good understanding of post-production and of course visual effects stuff but um he has a very strong understanding of uh, cinematography and camera work uh and a, and that sort of overview of directorial perspective so we've always enjoyed having you on the show jason and joining us uh is matt leonard from canada right now matt for those that Hi. don't know, you've obviously been on the show before, but not for a little while. Do you want to give a little rundown on your perspective on things? Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm in Vancouver, uh, having been in uh, England for pretty much the rest of my life, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm uh, over at MPC, uh, massively involved in the lighting department and teaching in their academy that they have running there. So having a blast. Yes, and you've taught for us in uh, FX PhD and even uh, gone to Madness concerts here with me in Sydney. So, uh, always uh, fun to have you, my friend. Good times, thank you. So, uh, this week we're uh, going um, going to the jungle. We are heading uh, in our four-wheel drives that are going to get very beaten up into the uh, the perhaps not recently visited world of uh, Jurassic dinosaurs in Jurassic World. The absolutely mega breakout blockbuster, every adjective you want, hit that's made more money than than uh, than anything. In fact, it's, I think, the second biggest grossing film of all time, and it's uh, outgunned um, uh, The Last Avengers, but I think The First Avengers still outguns it in one of the two. Well, it's the largest it, opening weekend ever. Oh, okay. Five hundred and twenty-four so million dollars, right? Which is insane. So, so shall we just agree that half a billion dollars, um, in a pretty successful, <laughs> pretty successful. Yeah, yeah. So there, there, there's somebody saying, "See, I told you, Jurassic at work." Yeah, and I just read <laughs> and, an article uh, that uh, Chris Pratt's quote just went from ten to twelve million because of it per film. Okay. Well, you know, I think Chris Pratt's really good in it. Actually, oh, absolutely. Uh, but he's certainly on a roll after Guardians. Um, though, you know, clearly as much as Chris seems like a super nice guy and I'm really glad for him, the stars of the show are the ILM uh, Jurassic World dinos. Yeah. So let's, let's um, before we get to the review of the visual effects, let's just discuss the film as we always do and then we'll swing to discussing the effects, which are many and, uh, and marvellous. But um, I guess, uh, well, why don't I start with, um, with you, Matt? What did you actually think of the film as a film? Well, it's probably worth saying at the outset that it was Jurassic Park, the original, that got me into this industry. I remember going to see that numerous times and thinking that is what I want to do with the rest of my life. And so when this film was kind of announced that it was going to get made and then obviously it having come out now, 
I was pretty much first in line. In fact, I've seen it twice in the last 72 hours. So <laughs> I absolutely loved it. I, I kind of went into the cinema assuming it could do no wrong. And in my opinion, it, I wasn't disappointed. So I, I absolutely loved it. I thought it felt very much like the original Jurassic Park in feel and style and look. And uh, the other two, obviously, the, uh, the Lost World and then uh, Jurassic Park 3, uh, were were good as well but this one seemed to feel like it kind of goes after Jurassic Park obviously there's a huge time gap but, but it felt like it was in the same universe and just felt like the same people had made it which obviously they had being ILM so yeah massive thumbs up Jason the comments being made that this is the second best Jurassic film do you support that uh you mean in the f- of the four of the four yeah yeah two and three weren't very good in my opinion I mean three being the worst I would think I think it probably this goes one, sits behind one, one, two, one, two, three, four. I mean, sorry, one, four, two, three. Three, yeah. Uh, I have to say, um, unlike Matt, I this, this Jurassic Park was not like a seminal film for me. Uh, I think I was 22 when it came out to date myself. Um, and I'm so glad you did that because yeah. I was thinking as Matt was talking, yeah, I was. Uh, it was Star Wars that was the seminal film for me yeah. that got me into visual effects. On the, yeah. but I'm a bit older than him. Um, same for me. I mean, I I love Jurassic Park, the original, and having been in the room that Spaz, you know, was in at thirty when I was at thirty two ten with you was was awesome, yep. and 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 that stuff to me is the I think the the mechanics and the visual effects and the, the behind the scenes stuff of Jurassic Park is probably more uh, heartfelt to me than the actual film. I like the film, the original. I think it's great, but I don't, I, I probably haven't seen it more than three times uh, in its, in its, uh, uh, since, you know, since it came out. I mean, it was a pivotal turning point in computer graphics in film. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, all the things associated with it, I I have a very strong affinity to. But I think the film itself... I'm not saying the film is... Jurassic Park is a bad film. I I I love it. It's a great film. But it doesn't... I don't return to it uh, the way I do other films, necessarily. It's Um, not The Godfather Part 2. Yeah. (laughs) So... (laughs) Or The Dark Knight. Yeah. So, I... So, going to see this movie... I, I'm a big fan of Chris Pratt, and I'm actually a big fan of Colin Trevorrow, the director. His previous film, Safety Not Guaranteed, I really enjoyed. Um, and that's where Jake Johnson comes from, the guy wearing the Jurassic Park shirt was in that film. I mean, he's in, been other, in other films, but that, that's the sort of link to that. And I, I love the the ideas that they had and how they linked it. They, they, they really went for like, this is Jurassic Park 2, really. In their, it seemed like in their mind they were making the much uh, tighter connection. Um, but they're like, you know, these movies are like Die Hard. Like, you know, John McClane always gets in, is in the wrong place at the wrong time, and bad shit happens to him. And it's the same thing for this. We're going to keep making dinosaur parks, and the dinosaurs are going to go ape shit and kill people. Um, I mean, it, this this borrowed homage very heavily to the first film. Yes. I mean, firstly, you've got the two kids lost in the park trying to find their way back. Yeah. You've got, you know, dinos running loose. You've got uh, everything from uh, Mr. DNA, who makes mm-hmm. an appearance, to the uh, whole thing about um, the dino attacking, this time this, the, uh, 
the weird sphere that they're in as opposed to the car, which yeah. was in the mud last time. I mean, there's tons and of... And they the, just flip the it. Guy, Sorry, go, yeah. keep going. The, oh, I was going to say, the guy being eaten uh, when um, Chris is uh, hiding under, covered in gasoline, you yeah. know, felt like the guy getting eaten off the toilet. The, the thing about... that the, There was like a ton of references, even the review mirror stuff. Yeah. Um, but I didn't find that to be the sequel problem of we've made a joke, so we'll just make it again because, I don't no. know, the audience laughs the first time, we'll just move it a second time. It did actually feel more like homage to people that knew the first film from 20 years ago that we were going to put in lots of Easter eggs rather than exactly. we couldn't think of anything original. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you could really feel com- confident playing a, a gag as a like rehashed gag 22 years later. I'm not sure that could work. I think yeah. I think I agree with you that they, they smartly worked all those things in for the because it works fresh for new fans and it works as homage for the older fans. Uh, I enjoyed the film. I, I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it. I, I enjoyed it. I had fun. It's a fun movie. Uh, I, I went by myself yeah. last night because uh, I it was the only time I could go. My kid, you know, woke up this morning. How was it? I want to see it. You know, like like you know, that's the that's what it's for. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I've i been lucky enough to actually go to ILM and talk to the filmmakers about it. And so when we're talking their visual effects, but, you know, we actually got to sit down and do lengthy interviews with people like Dennis Muren, which is just a total treat. But if we just stay with the film for a second, it, it was happy popcorn film. It was not um, a film that you couldn't draw faults with the logic of, you know, like, I mean, you know, the, uh, the tracking device in the, um, you know, conglomerate dino um so once he gets once he breaks loose the uh you know the indominus rex is hey we've got a tracking device in him well why didn't anyone think to look at that when they couldn't find him with the heat signature right (laughs) which would have saved an enormous amount of problems um and you know there's a few things like that where you just kind of go well that was convenient or that wasn't convenient um (laughs) depending on the way that there's only one helicopter guy who's able to fly the helicopter at the later stage and and that's going to be the guy that runs the whole thing and commissioned the indominus rex and he's not very experienced so he's just going to plummet to his death in a fiery fireball where you know like i can't imagine that you wouldn't have more than one helicopter pilot around and certainly the ceo jumping in it yeah (laughs) seems like a pretty odd uh odd thing so there's you know there's a bunch of that stuff but it heavily falls in my camp in the who cares because you're not there for that you're there for a story that is going to be a good ride and not immediately 100% predictable. I mean, the dialogue was a bit cheesy in more than a couple of places, but as long as you like Chris Pratt's character, you know, you're, you're good to go along for the ride as he is the bit of an underdog, um, bit of an Indiana Jones kind of guy that kind of saves the day, uh, gets the girl on the way, the kids don't get eaten, there's some good gags and there's some damn good uh, visual effects sort of not necessarily jump scares, but, you know, sort of up there in terms of uh, he, here they come. And well, and you, get, from, uh, and you get both the villains from the first movie as the heroes, the raptors yeah. and the T-Rex, which I think is, you know, smart, super smart. Yeah, and I also think the three-act structure worked pretty well. Like, you know, we had things happening um, that, you know, we got a... I mean, some people have complained that the brother relationship dragged on a bit long and the older brother was annoying for too long and certainly the kids going off road uh through a broken um gate seemed about the dumbest thing in the planet um you know i just couldn't believe that they would even build those things that they could leave the paddock but anyway um 
so that you know there are things like that but i think the three act structure like that third act by the time we got to that we wanted a big old you know fight action sequence and it wasn't immediately predictable what everything was going to be i mean we sort of knew that they weren't all going to die but you know it was still fun watching it play out and uh at a, at a narrative level i felt kind of satisfied but what really made this film go from being you know good at a narrative level but sort of popcorn was just spectacularly good character animation oh, yeah. i mean it just the thing that just tops this film out is the character animation. as good as chris is as good as the lovely shots of um hawaiian type tropical islands are it's you know from the trailer it's some serious dino action some new dinosaurs we hadn't seen before some old friends and and the knowledge that the raptors are incredibly lethal and so standing in a compound with them waving your hands around with nothing to protect you you know, we, we we got the benefit of not needing backstory on how incredibly dangerous that was. Like the audience kind of pre... You know, it's been like swimming with, with uh, killer sharks, you know? You, you know that the sharks are dangerous, so swimming with a bunch of pack of, uh, you know, sharks is sort of inherently mm-hmm. understood to be dangerous. When Chris at the beginning... Uh, or rather Owen as his character is, is, you know, walking around with the raptors, we knew that they were lethal beyond belief and very intelligent and which made it all the more interesting because you knew things were going to go um, bad, but standing in there with them just seemed... And that guy that fell in with the pig, I mean, it was just hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that, that I really liked, and I don't know whether it was done purposely or whether I just read into it, but it felt like there were scenes or moods that were taken from other films that... I definitely could kind of relate to. So the the whole um, scene where they all go off towards the end, um, all the the, the um, soldier team to try and uh, take the raptors to try and get the big dinosaur. That attack that was all shown kind of through their heads up display cameras that felt very much almost straight out of Aliens, uh, yeah. just the way it was filmed. Yeah, you can't um, fire. It's <laughs> weapons lock. <laughs> yeah, it just had that real feel about it and. And the shot with the raptor following uh, the kids in the back of the truck, I swear that they were playing the music from Raiders of the Lost Ark with <laughs> the desert chase. It just I, I knew it wasn't, but it just felt like that's what they're doing. And it, it really added to it because it gave it that kind of old school feel, which I really liked about it. The Aliens reference for me was the strongest when he's in the control room and you're seeing their, um, their oh, hearts yeah. go flatlining. Yep. Yeah. That was just, you know, that was Cameron. <laughs> But that was a, uh, also a really, I thought that was a really uh, good device for not having to show a bunch of people die, but showing the, yeah. you know, you know that the, they're taking down and, and cutting off without having to be overly violent because they use that later. They get a little violent, you know, and it's a kid's movie, so they have to, not kids, kids, but, you know, it's it's still a family film. So they, they're trying, to, you could see them trying to temper the, 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 the waves of violence and where and when to play it. And I think also just from a drama point of view, you don't want to give away everything up front. And so the actress whose name is Casey for a second that was playing the um, the woman that was running the... Um, Bryce Dallas Howard. Yeah. So when she... Like she was she did some really good acting there as, as people were dying and those, those things were flatlining. You know, we got the horrific sense that you're standing there and this is happening in front of you and there's another person dead. There's another person dead and there's another person dead. And that that has its own dramatic weight um, without, you know, just having an assault of uh, CG right up at the front. Well, I Um, felt like I felt like um, to stick with the aliens 
thing. You know, the the Vincent D'Onofrio character, who is the guy who wants the you know to set the Raptors loose or, or you know use them for uh, clearly military purposes. I mean, he's basically Paul Reiser from yeah. Aliens, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, if and only we is, can get them back. Yeah, and she is too a little bit. I mean, she's the company man who turns uh, who turns over Bryce Dallas Howard. Yes, yes, yes. I think the thing that uh, that worked for me in the whole picture is that, um, like, we kind of knew what we were in for, and we wanted it, <laughs> and and they gave us what we wanted, but they didn't uh, make, they didn't sort of jump the shark. To <laughs> bad, bad uh, joke given the, the film, but you know what I mean. Like, they gave us what we wanted, and they gave us enough of what we wanted, but they didn't turn it up to eleven and make it just so ridiculous that uh, you know they could have obviously had more dinos because there were more different breeds around and uh, they could have been stampede on stampede on stampede from the second act, uh, making the second act much more like the third. And I think that would have been a mistake. Um, so, yeah, I felt like really satisfied in that respect. Well, you know, you go so to a steakhouse thing... and you order a steak. You want the steak, yeah. you know. You don't yeah. want the seafood yeah. tower and the steak. <laughs> mm-hmm. Somebody somebody made a really great comment, I wish I had done this, about the scene of the shark um, being eaten, which is in the trailer. Me having made references to jumping sharks. Um, they said it was a, a Spielberg nod that, hey, this used to be scary, uh, you know, years ago in uh, yeah. Jaws. And now now this is scary uh, as that uh, big bugger jumps out of the water and uh, yeah. and uh, and nibbles uh, one bite the, uh, the shark, which I, would, I thought was kind of interesting. I would not doubt that because the, the director also co-wrote the script. And I would not doubt that knowing Spielberg was the guy who I mean, Spielberg was the guy who tapped him for the film. He saw Safety Not Guaranteed yeah. and said, "I want this guy to make Jurassic World," which is obviously awesome. And you know, maybe that was his little like, "Hey, I'm the new guy. Check it out. I'm going to use your own dinosaur to eat your old movie." You know, yes, a great yes. And and as a filmmaker, uh, sorry, as a film buff kind of person watching it, you just love that kind of stuff, right? Like you'd like to think that there are some layers in there, and it's not all. Um, you know, straight up front. Well, and it works and as a device because it yeah. it's telling you what's going to happen at the end. Yes. It was interesting, actually. They they did that exactly on the rule of thirds. So they did that at the beginning, about halfway through, uh, you know, the assistant goes in mm-hmm. to remind you that that's all possible so that at the end it doesn't come out of nowhere. Um, if they'd done it only once, it would have been like, well, that was a convenient thing they just set up at the front so we could explain it at the end. Doing it three times is the sort of perfect filmmaking logic of... The audience knows it's there. The audience isn't taken by surprise, but the audience has forgotten that that's coming. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's just solid filmmaking. Okay, so let's talk about the visual effects work um, in uh, in uh, the specifics. And uh, we will, as we speak, we haven't got an article on FX Guide, but we will, and we've got a bunch of uh, videos and stuff. So we've got quite a lot of coverage on this. We managed to go fairly deep into... Uh, uh, you know how it was made and stuff. We we won't just cover all of that. Somebody <laughs> sent me an email last week saying you shouldn't just discuss what's in these stories in the uh, VFX show. You should review the effects. But we do like to cover it a little bit because otherwise um, we can sound a bit like inside baseball that we know stuff that you don't. And so occasionally we'll explain some stuff just so that you listening uh, will understand exactly what's going on. And by the way, we do enjoy you guys sending us uh, emails and um, and tweets and stuff. And so yeah, please keep them coming. Okay, so. What I found astounding about the visual effects uh, of the dinosaurs, in particular if we can just focus on the raptors for a second, is that they decided to go motion capture to feed them. 
and I was astounded by that uh, because the retargeting seemed to be such a difficult exercise. I mean, being an Australian, we have kangaroos, and I understand well from being taught at school that kangaroos balance by their tails. And so while everybody goes to ostriches and emus when talking about the raptors, I go to kangaroos because that back tail is a really interesting device and it's quite a fleshy device. So it adds a quite a counterweight, which allows the raptors to lean forward in their distinctive kind of pose. You just don't get that as a human standing there. There's a bunch of stuff you just don't get, even though they're still sort of bipeds. Um, having motion capture just didn't seem the obvious way to go, but ILM did it aggressively and did it very successfully and they think it introduced a lot of subtlety and a lot of tiny motion and uh, irregularities that just made the raptors feel really lifelike. Matt, what do you think? Yeah, no, I definitely agree. They were one of the key uh, characters that I most liked in this. It felt like they'd given them personality way beyond what they had in the other movies and obviously I'm guessing some of that was through the the fact that they had this new technology and that they could uh, they could go the motion capture route. But I just thought the way that they played out the performance that they went with for the Raptors made you kind of root for them more than you ever had done before. They had really nice kind of ways in which they looked at you and there was multiple kind of types of animals it felt like that kind of made up their performance. And just the way that they ran and kind of darted around really kind of left you with a slightly uneasy feeling because they were s- they were so quick and almost cat-like in some ways and I just thought that really added to the kind of the menace of them on top of the fact that obviously the uh, the Chris Pratt characters tamed them but you always felt like he's never really got them completely under control which is obviously the case uh, but I thought the performance was just superb. They did feel I mean, it was fun when he went out riding with them. It was like, you know, it was a bit of a kick-ass kind of, you know, you got your bike and a pack of raptors. I did worry that Chris in the dark was going to run into a tree stump and go hurtling (laughs) through the air. But leaving that aside for a second, I mean, yeah, you know, heading out with your own pack of raptors is about as cool a thing as I can possibly think of, isn't it, Jason? Uh, Yeah. No, I mean, I agree. The, The raptors were a highlight for me, A, because, you know, they're a returning character that you sort of, know and understand like you were saying earlier without having to give backstory everybody knows about the raptors so to see him interact with them like that and have them feel so real um with personalities besides that he gave them names which obviously helps also but um i would go one step further and say when they when he when they had their heads sticking out of those holes with the with the uh, yep. mouth guards muzzles. on muzzles yep. on were those animatronic or were those CG? Nope. CG. Yeah, CG. see, those I would have sworn were animatronic because they were so clean and really well, like like you were saying, the subtle movements of it sort of wiggling in the thing and trying, knowing it can't move, but just trying to to move around in a little wiggles in the lips to show the teeth when, it, when they wanted to. And even them touching them, like there was no, no breaks in that, in that process anywhere. It was really nice. They did build a few things to help out on set, though I believe they, no, but I believe they are nearly all, if not absolutely all of them were replaced with digitals. Um, Mainly, you know, when the uh, Chris comes across that dinosaur that's been killed for sport, um, that kind of stuff. Uh, But I'm pretty sure I remember somebody saying that uh, they'd actually ended up replacing everything with a, even though they had stuff on set for, uh, for obvious reasons. Um, 
But yeah, the the Raptors' performance, are you know getting, uh, which is always the hardest thing, right? Getting us as the audience to understand what they're doing. You know, changing allegiances, deciding to change back to you know support uh, Owen uh, at the end. I mean, that was you know. We didn't get confused because the character animation was so solid, but the faces never got comical and they stayed pretty true to what, you know, had been defined as the amount of um, expression that a raptor could come up with. I mean, my dog is more expressive than a raptor (laughs) um, and, you know, it's an animal, but they didn't go there. They didn't make the faces more uh, elastic and uh, they kept them pretty pretty lizard-like i did by the way just as an aside i love that line that uh they came up with which was you know we engineered them to look like this they wouldn't even look like this in real life if we hadn't if you hadn't asked us to make them like that but that's what everybody kind of expects did you pick up that line when he's when the chief scientist guy was talking which i think was like a nod to we know they don't have feathers oh the that raptors whole theory that well yeah he's talking about designing I missed that line for some reason so the guy that was from the original um, movie, yeah, that was the only chap that uh, that reappeared. Who I loved, by the way, I just loved that guy. Uh, B.D. Wong, is that the Asian yeah. guy? Yeah, and he makes a remark to the guy who owns the whole facility, right? At one point, which is along the lines of, um, I think the guy who owns the whole place is Simon, right? And he's talking to Simon, and he says. Uh, well, no, they wouldn't even look like this except for you want us to make them look like people expected, which was kind of this nod to one line that excused the fact that we now think the dinosaurs had feathers and these guys don't right. have feathers. And yeah. <laughs> we made them to look like what you wanted them to look like, what you expected them to look yeah. like, which is a very convenient way around a problem. Because let's face it, when the original one came out, everybody assumed that's what a dinosaur looked like, for exactly. real. Yeah. And there wasn't this uh, heavy uh, feather theory flying around as there is uh, now anyway i digress so they kept the faces pretty uh, rigid and not able to be that expressive certainly not as expressive as a as my labrador but i never had any trouble reading what the guys were thinking there were some just beautifully timed head tilts that seemed to communicate volumes without anyone having to oh to yeah say I mean, you knew when they were talking to each other you know you felt like yeah. they were communicating and you got the general gist um i thought uh, I agree with you, like the subtleties in the in the high frequency, you know, moves is uh, it was pretty astounding. And Matt, that's funny. a pretty key yeah. retargeting, right? I mean, that's I know we should skip over this retargeting, like managing to translate that to a character that's so different from a person is is not trivial. No, not at all. And I think it, it just does kudos not only to the the motion capture performers who were able to do that but also to the animators because they would have obviously had to have layer on top of what the performances the performance guys had done in order to get that and i and um, the opening sequence where you first see uh the the quiz um character in the pen um when he's feeding them i was watching it and i was thinking the performance is almost and it seems comical because of the fact they're raptors but it almost felt like when I've been to the zoo and watched meerkats, they had that kind of really kind of interesting looking at each other, darting around, looking up. And it just, I think the way that the performance was done and the way that the retiming was done really just added a layer of emotion that they couldn't have added through the face, like you said, because it needed to be rigid in order to keep that realism. 
How do you reckon the original Jurassic, because you're the fan of the original one, how do you reckon that holds up today in terms of rendering? Because if we're looking at rendering tech for putting those guys in the shot, I mean, we have so much more stuff at our disposal now. ILM can use vastly more complicated, in fact, they wouldn't even had subsurface back then. Uh, obviously, f- uh, physically plausible shaders, lighting, um, global illumination, just a ton of stuff's evolved since the original one. What do you think the original dinos stack up? I think these were definitely better, but I think also, I don't quite know how they did it back in, in the day, but even if you look at Jurassic now, well, many of those shots still feel like they hold up. Um, so I thought they definitely improved the texturing um, and the kind of the shader building and the subsurface was amazing. The way the lighting worked, and we'll probably get onto this later, but it felt to me looking through, especially in a, a couple of scenes like the, the bike chase at night and a few other shots that it felt like the dinosaur world and the dinosaurs themselves almost had better lighting than the live action did in <laughs> some places. And I know that's ludicrous to say, but I think it just goes to show that they had the control and they had the ability to really get it so strong. And I think because of the changes in the shading, I'm guessing it w- may have been a Renderman pipeline or something like that. But obviously that's come on leaps and bounds over the last 20 years as well. And so that's almost certainly helped. I mean, Jason, they decided to shoot this on film because they wanted to tie into the original film. Do you think it was a good choice? Yeah, I mean, you can't, it didn't, I didn't feel that. There's so much visual effects going on that I think film might not necessarily be a a necessity in that. Like if I was the director, I would have been like, I mean, if you want to, that's fine, but I, I wouldn't see the difference necessarily. Uh, I mean, it's, and it's shot by John Schwartzman, who's, uh, you know, yeah. uh, pretty big, uh, you know, studio DP these days shoots a lot of, you know, Epic and I'm sure Alexa and other things, but I, I, it didn't feel filmish to me, although I saw 3d and because it was, it, it was, it wasn't like Mad Max 3d was super bright cause it was in the desert, but this was felt really mm. dim to me in 3d. Like, this, this not to get on a, a tangent about stereo projection, but they're definitely under projected these days. I was lucky to see it in two D. So yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm going to go see it in two D again with my kid. Uh, no, I'm, I'm right. I think I saw it. Sorry, I'm just confusing. I saw um, Inside Out the other day, and that was going to be three D and it became two D, and I think right. I'm confusing the two. Um, but. Uh, it was certainly the the lighting wasn't a problem when I was watching it. Yeah. It was presented in a two to one aspect ratio as opposed to a one eight five or a two three five to one. Did you notice that at all? Oh, so, weird. No, I did not. That's because they, they shot some sixty five mil, right? Yeah, they also just wanted extra height because you know dinosaurs are obviously yeah. pretty high, so it doesn't work hmm. to have two three five. But by the same token, they wanted it cinematic, and they didn't want to go with one eight five and make it look uh, yeah. more sixteen by nine. Yeah, no, I didn't even. Didn't even feel that. Um, I I don't don't buy the you need to shoot on film thing. I mean, some people said they did it because they wanted greater dynamic range in the um, forest, but I don't. I don't think, I think that's, that's necessary odd. in this day and age. But <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, a bit of a uh, a comment that somebody lifted from Jurassic Park three time frame <laughs> uh, rather than um, from four. What was interesting about that night stuff that uh, that you commented on there, Matt, and I think it was a super great decision, is they actually went and cleared out a lot of the foliage down at ground level from the locations they were shooting at. 
And so nearly all the ground level foliage got added back in. The mm-hmm. idea being that they wanted the dinosaurs and stuff, the raptors, whatever, to interact with it. And for that to happen, you didn't want to have to remove a bunch of foliage. They only to put stuff in that got bounced as uh, yep. things went by. So you effectively had this forest where you've got the big trees and you've cleared stuff out, but it's all going to be put back in digitally so that it can interact, so that it can move, so it can be consistent. And at no point did I feel like, well, that's CG, you know, plants and that's real trees. I mean, the, as much as I think the raptors running through that night sequence was brilliant, um, the environment team also kind of came to the party and, uh, and delivered an A-grade job. Yeah, it looked excellent. I think the only spot I did, and, and the chances are it probably was a real tree, but there was a shot, I can't remember exactly where it was, but it was a daylight shot on a beach, and they did a shot looking back down the beach with a huge tree on its own, kind of on the beach. It wasn't like a palm tree, it was some other type of tree. And that was the only one that I thought, I wonder if that was CG, because it just seemed, it may have just been the placement of it, and it probably was a real tree, but... The, the stuff at night I just thought looked spectacular. And as you said, having it digital means that it makes it much easier for the raptors to interact with it. But also, obviously, you've got lights from all the bikes and the cars and they're all interacting and you can see kind of the subsurface as those lights kind of go over the leaves and things. So, yeah, I, I could see how it's it makes life easier to control and a, and a better kind of rendering looks great. Jason, maybe you can help me with this. I thought, that, I mean, I, I was so caught up in the film. It was really hard. You know, it's sort of annoying when you know you have to do the VFX show and you want to come up with intelligent things to say. I was just having fun. But um, there seemed to be some really outstanding lensing going on in some of those chase sequences. I'm assuming what I was seeing was long lens stuff. But man, there were some low shots where things were coming towards us that it was just a really beautiful sort of piece of either cinematography or virtual cinematography. Were you kind of aware of what I'm talking about? Yeah, I. It's so hard to know these days when, uh, because it's done so well when you're in a virtual camera versus a real camera. But I didn't. I. I didn't. None of it felt like you know Spider-Man cameras. You know where they're going yeah. where they can't be. I imagine a lot of Russian arms, in the, uh, in the uh, woods, or a lot of stabilized you know stuff hanging off of trucks. Um. All I mean, all the lensing felt felt great. I mean, felt very Spielbergian in its own way, without being uh, you know, I guess going back to the homage type thing. It definitely kept kept the tone and sort of amped it up a little bit. Yeah, there were just some like shots that um, every once in a while somebody does a shot. Like there was this super kicker shot in uh, Iron Man where he he's turning. I think it's the first one. He turns his back to something he's about to blow up, like a tank, and he's fired up thing. And he's just walking towards this kind of in slow motion. And there's this huge explosion behind, and you think, right there, that's like the poster yeah. <laughs> on the film. I get a frame of that, blow it up, and cover my bedroom wall. Yeah. Um, and in this, there were some of those shots low. The raptors are running towards you. It seemed to be like on a super long lens, and it was like, wow, that is a really like. There's a lot of energy in that shot just coming from the cinematography. Is it was this anamorphic, or did they just put in the flares? Uh, after, in post there was only a couple flares but interestingly the first flares I felt were in the daytime when the hmm. jeeps drive up right am I am I being uh, I, I don't have really any nice kind of blue flares as well yeah. they, on some of the headlights at night yeah but in the but I think in the beginning there's some jeeps drive up or something and it's like a blue I remember thinking like oh that's interesting like that the first flares would be in the daytime and then and then I really 
realized it was anamorphic, but it didn't feel maybe because of the two to one. Uh, it, it wasn't feeling anamorphic, so I was curious. You know, I know I know a lot of people put in anamorphic flares these days. Like Gone Girl was, you know, shot spherical, and then they put anamorphic flares in just because they like it. So it's hard to tell. Uh, uh, so yeah, it's just, I'm trying to. I ca- I'm hoping I, I, hoping yeah, I didn't I, confuse that with another film, but pretty sure. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was. It was. Uh, just in the day, they're subtle. They just sort of creep in for a second, um, like really thin, blue, wide, anamorphic flares. I guess, from my point of view, the thing I was really happy about was that it wasn't, uh, you know, Star Trekky flares no. everywhere. And then after no. that, I kind of didn't really um, yeah. tune in enough. I guess um, I don't have any like particular specs on the filming that would tell me if it was anamorphic or not. Um, yeah, I wouldn't I mean, imagine were, so if you were projecting, if you were delivering two to one. Yeah, I mean there was just uh, a lot of Panavision Primo lenses and the yeah. sixty-five lenses, but yes. um, I don't know about anything past that. Hey, um, we talked about the motion capture, and we talked about the animators who clearly work hand in glove with the motion capture data to produce such spectacular results. But I was I was holding this back because I think it's much more evident on the Indominus Rex than it is on the Raptors, which is the role that the flesh sims played on top of that. So in addition to everything else that was going on um, in the performance that we're getting, because of the nature of the more sort of loose-skinned, large-bodied, less ripped, I'm going to call it, Indominus Rex, I mean, obviously he was still fit, but he was bigger and and bulkier. There was a huge amount of really cool flesh sim stuff. Did you notice that, Matt? Yeah, definitely. There was definitely you got that sense because it obviously moved around a, m- a little bit more like the T Rex in that it was a bit slower. But it, whenever it stopped or it moved direction, you really got that kind of follow through that you would get from kind of muscle bulk. That it obviously had a lot of of that kind of bulky muscle under the skin, and I really liked the whole way that that kind of moved around and just as it moved, as you got the feeling it was thinking or going into a into a, like an attack pose or something you you could see all the muscles tensing up as it went to do things so i think they did an excellent job on getting all that to work it is a major significant difference between dinosaurs in the original way back day and today that these ones had real layers of bone skin muscles um full bone structures the there were flesh sims there was like a lot of computational stuff that real. i mean you can't flesh sim everything because you'd never get the film made but there was it was used properly and appropriately especially around the mouth you know that kind of side flap that he has on his mouth mm-hmm. um and uh and he wasn't the only one there were some scenes when um there were dinosaurs running away from the kids when they're first in the park so they're still happily in this their biosphere bubble thing and i think all the other animals start running and uh and they had uh same kind of thing like some really good uh uh what looked like flesh stems to me, it was just seemed so accurate for the... But, of course, you'd really notice it when they start moving and uh, a bulkier animal suddenly picks up pace to get out of the way. Yeah, I mean, they have that, uh, they have that wobble, the sort yeah. of, you know, larger-bodied yeah. be- larger wobble. And it's always difficult, I know, when animating to try and give weight to something. That's obviously one of the key things you're trying to do in the performance of, of anything. And I think that whole muscle system and just the subtlety of it really enabled them to tie 
the weight onto the creature so it felt like this size and this weight but i think in the first one although they they were very good they didn't quite have the same weightiness of them as as what you'd imagine from that size creature so i think that whole muscle sim just helped to to ground it in reality just from kind of a weight and mass point of view as well and how good were those associated sims i mean that water sim from the end sequence or actually from when we lose the the assistant um she uh, uh gets uh picked up and uh, carried off to her death but when she lands in the water and is eaten i mean clearly that's water sims because obviously why wouldn't you it's all water it's uh you know you've got dinosaurs in the water you've got birds flapping around on the water but man they're just when it comes to that stuff, you don't even, you, you have to make yourself look. I do, and I don't know about you guys, but I have to make myself look at it to see if I can see anything because it doesn't occur to me that I'm looking at CG when I'm looking at those. Uh, now, when the whole crowd goes down in um, concrete uh, uh, chairs or one of stadiums that sort of contract under the water, you know, you know it's uh, almost James Bond-esque level of, uh, of stuff. And yes, it's CG, yeah. but just the general stuff at the water level and he jumps out to get the shark at the end when he, when he gets the Indominus Rex, um, mm-hmm. they're all just... But ILM, I mean, is known at this point for water. I mean, the, the water stuff from Pacific Rim, the water stuff from the... Um, uh, I can't remember the name of it from the first Avengers when the big uh, sky, you know, uh, uh, when the carrier jumps carrier, comes out of the yeah, water. Comes, well, I the mean, only thing I say that they Trek often use, but they often use a partners for that water stuff. It isn't, um, you know, it's not unprecedented for ILM to have partners that specialize in the water. Fair enough. That that do that for them, but whether they did it in the house or, or or did a partner, it's supervised by ILM. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's it's large bodies of water with creatures interacting in it it's not you know obviously surface stuff is a lot easier to do um you know a lake uh, looking down at yeah. uh, at a body of water um even a beach kind of thing but once you start getting characters really thrashing around in it and jumping out of it and sucking down with that kind of negative mm-hmm. vortex that happens as they descend back into the water um and yet just don't even pay attention to it and from a technical level you just swept along for the ride it's a, a lot of different departments here. Environment, character work, sim work, water work, um, lighting and rendering teams all just kicking it. Because I, I, there were scenes in the first one that even when I saw the first one, I was like, well, yeah, doesn't look that real. Like there's the dinosaur that sneezes on the kid in the tree in the first one, which I think was a mechanical dinosaur. And it just never, ever worked for me. Um, it just really kind of looked hokey. There wasn't anything in here where I kind of rolled my eyes at the dinosaurs. Uh, no matter how fast they moved, no matter what they were doing. Um, I don't know the name of the dinosaur, but that guy that had the spiky back, um, the kind of like um, armadillo guy that swung around and tried to defend himself uh, at the start of the attack mm-hmm. on the sphere sequence. Uh, with the big kind of bull tail. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, it's not in it for a lot of shots, but man, that guy just seem to move correctly and work correctly for the mm. armature that he was carrying. I used to know the name of that carrying. dinosaur. <laughs> it's Abatus or Abatorius something? Some, some, yeah, yeah, I can't remember. There's a name for it, can yeah. I, can I point out something that jumped out to me as, as being... The rendering was fine, but and maybe it's because it was stereo, but when the helicopter... When you see the helicopter for the first time, the blue one... <laughs> Are you going to say miniatures? 
Yeah, yeah, it felt like someone dangling, like they had, they told Tippett to like, you know, hold a toy on a fishing line and put it through a, like a train set. Does that, was that just me or did? No, no, I felt that as well. And I wondered if that was the stereo. Yeah. I'd love to have known what it looked like in 2D. And even when it landed, it, it def- when it landed, it kind of went like, blonk, like it was a really bad landing. Definitely like a physics issue landing for me. Yeah, thirty two ten was credited in the end credits. Uh, I think they were. Yeah, saying, yeah. Um, I mean, Tibbet Studios, or rather, Phil Tibbet advised um, Legacy. Yeah, Image Engine did some stuff. Uh, I mean, it looked CG. It just, it just maybe it was just a stereo popped it out in a weird way. I mean, you shouldn't have any stereo at those wider shots, like with the geo dome and stuff. Yeah. Um, Somebody's handing me a thing saying it's dimorphin, D-I-M-O-R-P-H-O-N-O-D-O-N, sorry. The name of the one you can't think of. Dimorphodan or something. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. I don't even think that's right. (laughs) That's one of the the birds, isn't it? Um, But anyway, yes. We all know the raptors and the T-Rexes. And after that, we just have to go with the... uh, Stegosaurus and Triceratops and Brontosaurus and the general... Yeah, but they're the ones you used to get in cornflakes, right? Yeah, the like superstars. Plastic figures. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's these new ones that are the ones that, uh, that I have trouble with. They had that amazing scene with the canoers going down the river. Oh, wasn't that beautiful? they held on that for a while. I like, love those cut away. Yeah, yeah, it was lovely. It was like, how much work went into that for like five seconds? Yeah. There was some of those sequences in the sequels of the original one that were really pretty. You get a like, little gorge and uh, there was stuff going on there. Mm-hmm. And I remember being very um, impressed with the quality of that stuff. And I've got to say, was it the second one where they had the big game hunter and they had that amazing sequence with the uh, truck going off the cliff that was from the book and, uh, you know, the glass was breaking. Oh, yeah, yeah, dangling off in sections. So so I think while we dishing the second and the third one, there was some really good stuff in there. Oh, yeah. It I'm may not have been overall wise, as good, but I was on the edge of my seat for that. Um, it's funny, I remember the first... Jurassic I saw I saw it twice and the second time I saw it both times I saw it with my wife but the second time I saw it with my wife she yelled just as loudly when the raptor <laughs> jumps up at the ceiling tiles and the kids are just escaping and I yeah. literally like she screamed like really loudly again and I said but you've already seen it like why are you screaming a second time and she was like no no I closed my eyes the first time so I never <laughs> saw it before in the um in the shot where the um where the uh, the lady uh, Bryce shuts the door on the truck and then the guy's hand with all the blood on it slaps on the window. Yep. The entire cinema went airborne, <laughs> <laughs> including myself. <laughs> amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are a few of those, and you know you want them, right? That's like that's when the popcorn gets uh, upended and uh, everybody <laughs> like, uh, yeah. So okay, we um, haven't talked about the birds at all, or whatever they're called, the flying uh, from the the break from the Avery. Yeah, pterodactyls. I really like that whole sequence. Yeah, and and what were your thoughts on those? I thought they looked fantastic. In fact, the highlight was when the um, when the assistant got picked up and and flipped and then caught by the uh, the second <laughs> one. Mm-hmm. I thought all of that was done. Re- it was obviously comical and probably wouldn't really happen physically, but I just thought it looked superb and again very kind of menacing. Do you th- uh, do you think she was nasty enough that she needed to have such a gruesome end? I mean, she didn't no. seem like she was that bad an assistant. I thought you know. I mean, you you expect uh, the uh, the guy who represents the army and the uh, <laughs> uh, you know industrial yeah. uh, complex to 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 go down, even though the actor uh, Vincent 
uh, is just yeah, spectacularly good. And yeah. I've loved him from the uh, CS. He did a like well, CS, he's no, Full Metal uh, Jacket. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. But he he also did a TV show for a while that was just uh, Criminal Order yeah. and um, Criminal Intent. He was just I loved that show. But yeah, he was so. I always liked him as uh, and Thor in Adventures in Babysitting. Wasn't he in Men in Black? Or uh, yeah, Black? yeah, he was yeah. the the guy who turned like uh, he was in the first one. He was the bug. Yeah, yeah. He was really gruesome in that as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, I remember. Yeah, so great, great actor. He's popping up apparently in Magnificent Seven, so that'll be good. He also plays the kingpin in the in the Netflix Daredevil series. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, Wilson Flick. Wilson yeah, something right. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah, so anyway, uh, he, he definitely had a blood-splattered ending, but I just didn't know the assistant really deserved to be uh, <laughs> taken out quite so uh, viciously. But anyway, yeah, it was fun. W- what did you actually think of the, <laughs> the pterodactyls in that sequence, though, Jason? Uh, I, thought they, I thought they looked really good. There wasn't... I didn't get the sense of anything like, you know, they're hovering in the air, so it's kind of, you know, it's difficult to keep them, uh, you know, grounded without them feeling like they're floating. And I thought they all had really good um, weight and physics and even the struggle when the, uh, when the, whatever Megalodon or whatever the fit giant fish was ate it. It felt like it was trying to continue in its trajectory out and while still getting pulled down, you know, I think all the physics were really good. The, the um, texturing and, you know, they just, they felt solid. Um, you know, on par with the Raptors, even. Um, oh, I don't think they were as good as the Raptors. I felt they were a well, little bit. Well, just because I just felt you don't see them in the was, same way, but I think they were executed at the same. No, I no? I don't think they were executed as well. The the bite sequences when they were coming down and napping at people. I don't know. It just yeah. my only experience of that is seagulls, and well. somehow <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't as well in Australia. Our seagulls are quite aggressive going yeah, okay. for chips down by the beach, but. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. They felt a little bit... Maybe they were constrained because I imagined if something like that snapped at you, you would lose a limb, yeah, uh, a head, uh, yeah. a bit. And consequently, they had to do the whole pickup thing. But the the weight of a person relative to the body size of those guys and the wingspan, it just felt like it wouldn't be dead easy. I, I guess an eagle picks up a, a trout or a salmon pretty well, right? So maybe I'm wrong here. But it just sort of felt like... They were either too small to pick up whole people as easily as they did, uh, or they should have been able to break off people, and which would have been pretty blood spattered and, right. and miserable. But they didn't. Whereas I never got anything wrong. Like the the attack at the end with the, which I think we should probably now discuss, uh, where the raptors are attacking and the T Rex attacking. Like everybody seemed to be the right weight, the right relative size. Mm-hmm. They weren't. So maybe you know we've on the edge of how far a raptor can leap, though, again, I didn't feel like they'd, you know, made it comically big. Um, but those raptors just nipping had every feel of a, you know, <laughs> Discovery Channel documentary yeah. or we just filmed these. Well, like a pack. They were, you know, they had yeah. the proper pack mentality and the proper communication and, uh, and cooperation, which you just get by their movements. Yeah. Yeah, and the rendering just sat in so beautifully. Oh, yeah. 
the it's always good to have some physical props being smashed around. I think that really helps. I imagine that many of the physical props uh, at the end were still physical, though some of them must have been CG, of course. But um, you know, it was it was a good uh, use of the space, and um, I think we accepted that everyone else had cleared out by that stage. I certainly didn't accept how quickly it suddenly became night in the <laughs> film. But again, I'm. Uh, yeah, that felt like rather a convenient plot point. But anyway, yeah, sudden, sudden set. Well, or but how about how the kids rebuilt a 20-year-old truck? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was really glad that the tires hadn't lost any of their air yeah. in the tires. That yeah. was one that I was really pleased about. Um, yeah. Um, yes, but we, we weren't going to go there, right? Yes. <laughs> we accept that it's a comic booky, not comic book, but it's a... It's a popcorn film and, and it's kind of fun and does stuff. I mean, you know, you could same you could imply for the massive um, data center for monitoring what's going on. It was just, you know, there was some ridiculous UI stuff mm-hmm. going on in that uh, in that space. It's like not the most ergonomic place to work necessarily, but anyway. Oh, by the way, I loved the comical uh, him going for the hug. The guy that had the Jurassic <laughs> yes. T-shirt going for the hug, and she's like, "No, I've got a boyfriend." Yeah, that was just <laughs> priceless. Yeah. It the, seems. Um, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, going back to the the end section, the bit that I was really hoping for and and didn't happen was when um when Bryce or or Claire went to went to find the T Rex when they said we need more teeth and she went off to to the uh, enclosure and she had the flare. I was just waiting for her to do a kind of a Jeff Goldblum wave it above her head and then run off, but she uh, she unfortunately didn't. She just kind of held it and then ran off, but. They were walking a pretty yeah. fine line there, weren't they? I was really <laughs> expecting someone to go, clever girl, on yeah. <laughs> one of the raptors. Um, yes, that was another one of those lifts that... Uh, yeah. bit, of, bit of product placement in this film, guys. Did you notice that? I noticed Starbucks, that's for sure. <laughs> and uh, what about the uh, Nokia and the yeah. phone companies and the... Yeah. Park had stuff all over. Well, when they were talking about the new, like what they were going to call yep. the oh the Verizon wireless ball, and you're like, oh my god, <laughs> yep. like I I mean I get that that's like a pseudo organic way to put it in there, but I mean it's still like was so unnecessary. I mean, obviously not. That's how you get movies made, but uh, I just yeah, made, I'm yeah. pretty sure that if you can make <laughs> half a billion dollars on the opening weekend, that getting extra money out yeah. of Nokia is really well, just now, a little greedy. Jurassic Park 5 won't need that. <laughs> yeah, you think it won't be there? Oh, I'm sure it will. It goes part and parcel with studio pictures. I mean, it's just I'm sure there's a whole division of people that are just selling product placement. Hey, um, so the, the sequel is, I think... Uh, signposted by the imagine a bunch of small dinosaurs as weapons seemingly odd piece of monologue given right before he dies um is that what you guys got from the from the film as to where they were setting up the sequel yeah i could definitely see that and they had that really nice sequence around that time when they were looking through the lab and they actually had some miniature dinosaurs in what looked like kind of fish tanks Mm -hmm. or and I was thinking that actually looks really cool. And now we've got Ant Man. We'll be well in for it by then. <laughs> well, and that's an Alien Four reference, the Jean Genot yes uh, one. If if you want to continue in our aliens uh, theme, no, no, by all means, I agree. <laughs> it was the uh, the, uh, the I, I literally said 
Yeah, I literally said oh, there's going to be a face hugger in one of these <laughs> test tubes, uh, one of these uh, containers. That would have been awesome, just to throw one yeah. in there. Sort of like Howard the yeah. Duck in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> yeah, we've just uh, we've just been working on this dino. We just didn't quite work. It ended up as a face hugger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Zara is the assistant that uh, that died right. as uh, Claire's assistant. Uh, I keep on getting handing notes, and uh, yes, poor thing. Zara didn't deserve that. I mean, I've, you know, I've read a bunch of things about people complaining about Bryce uh, Dallas Howard's performance, and you know, they do they do definitely make her be the super stiff ice queen, you know, who has no time for friends and family, you know, to being snapped out of that by incredibly horrific events unfolding in, before her eyes, and particular, you know, potentially killing her. Uh, her nephews, which you almost felt like she didn't want the nephews to die more because her sister would be upset and less because she loved them. <laughs> which, I mean, yeah. you know, that's fine. But Yeah, I mean, how far do you go with that stuff, right? I mean, uh, you know, you, you want it to have more, you want to have some plot, you want to have some kind yeah. of backstory and stuff, but we're not really there to have a meaningful family i was wondering if they were going to play the the, uh divorce card a little stronger at the end and i have a feeling there must have been a subplot that was trimmed back it clearly wasn't cut out because there were references to the um, but it didn't seem like him crying in the train was enough of a reason to go to all the trouble that the parents were getting divorced yeah Yeah. well also Uh, you know the kids are she clearly hasn't seen them in forever and doesn't give a shit about them yet the kids are super bummed that she's not hanging out with them like you'd, yeah. you'd think they'd be like, wait, we have gold passes to the park and we do whatever we want. And we don't have to see you. That's the perfect vacation, right? <laughs> you would think that's like how the kids would feel. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of a crossed tonal thing there. I forgot to mention when we were talking about sequels, I'm still hoping that someone's going to find the mud that the original genome um, flasks got buried in in the first film. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that um, that dinosaur with the kind of the... The head that uh, it didn't flare out, but it had that kind of yeah, skin that, spat that flew them. out. They yeah, used like that again, didn't they, in the hologram? Oh right, Raptor was running through. That yeah. was a, that was a fun well. trick as well, putting that sucker in. Yeah, I have to say, I didn't like that character in the first film. He seemed too comically, um, sort of goofy to be. I, I'm glad that we didn't have a similarly goofy character in the tech room in this film. Well, it had like a Gremlins uh, vibe. In the first movie. I, yeah. And, and also that whole sort of, well, I laughed anyway. The whole, um, yeah, this is uh, Unix. I can work Unix. Yeah. Was, um, <laughs> it was awesome in the first one. But yeah, now that character just seemed too comical, too goofy, too caricaturish to be viable. And just, I know it was there for comic relief, but it just, I got out of the film. I don't like it when things are that broad in their comedy. Um yeah, it's not. Uh, not. I didn't think we missed it in this film, and there were still some funny moments, you know, some good stuff in it. So, uh, any takers for your favourite shot of the whole film? I might start with you, Jason. Anything that just struck you as being like, uh, man, that was the shot that I I loved to death, either technically or just because it played so well in the plot. Mm, you know, I was trying to mentally catalogue those while I was watching, trying to think. I think just the raptors in general. Uh, I think there was some some really solid cinematography all the way through, but there was nothing that like jumped out at me as like a cracker shot. I just think the raptors were very uh, 
I was enraptured by the Raptors. Uh, let's put it that I think way. The, the cinematography was best shown on the Raptors. I think for just kick-ass shots, that one at the end of the T-Rex climbing up on the heli oh, yeah. was a cracker of a shot. What about you, Matt? Um, probably. I'm, I like the whole way at the beginning that they didn't really show the, the main dinosaur that's name has now completely escaped me. The Dominus the Rex? Old, the Dominus Rex, yeah. The, they, they almost did a kind of an alien kind of let's just show bits of it. And it even went as far as once it had escaped the paddock and busted through the door and, and uh, Chris had rolled under the truck, you were still seeing it just walking around but just seeing bits of it. And probably my, my favorite shot of the whole movie was there was a, a really big close-up shot of its head coming down next to the, the, um, the what would have been the guy on the toilet. But oh, it was the, he was I'm just so glad you mentioned truck. that. Yeah. And there that was, was my favorite. There was brilliant subsurface scattering on the teeth. Yeah. You could see all whatever it had just eaten, which I think was one of the, uh, the other guys in the paddock. But I, that was my favorite shot. It was just big and bold and just looked amazing. Yeah, I remember looking at the teeth uh, on that shot exactly and it's, um, after he's covered himself in petrol under the car thing. Yeah. And I looked at the teeth and they were, had that uh, wax-like subsurface scattering look about them. And I remember thinking at the time, that's what you couldn't get away with in the first film, that level of realism. Yeah. It's mm. just they've been given a, a leg up by just technology saying, hey, yeah, if you want to do that shot, I can make it look a lot real for you. Have a look at this. Whereas I think you'd have had to have tried that uh, either at night or you'd have had it like they did in the first film or you'd have done it uh, with a physical thing and it would have looked a bit hokey because it was on a crane and or you'd have just not sold it as well. Um, yeah, no, that, I'm glad you mentioned that, child. That was one of my favourites and I'd forgotten about it. Well, that wraps it up for another VFX show. Uh, clearly a cracker of a film. Really, really glad this one's uh, worked. I hope that some of the other films coming out uh, over the summer will in fact uh, be as satisfying. I'd love it if we were sitting here in just as much rapture over the new Terminator film and saying that it was the natural successor to Terminator 2. I don't know. What do you reckon, Jason? What are my chances? Uh, slim. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it. I don't know. I haven't either, but I don't know. Yeah. I'm happy. So I will I'm, go see what it. What I'm reading. I will go see it. James Cameron seems to like it, right? He seems to, doesn't he? Yeah. Hey, something that if you guys get a chance to see it, if you've got um, kids, cousins or whatever, and you get a chance to go to Inside Out, the trailer before Inside Out, uh, which is Lava, the short. is one of the best. Yeah, the short. It's Sorry, I, I said trailer, didn't I? Yes, the short. It's one of the best Pixar short films in years. And I discovered since I saw it, um, I'm not giving anything away in the plot here, but the voice and the main musical instrument are all the director. And I just was so <laughs> impressed with the short. I'm so in, I would happily see Inside Out again, which is you know, a good film, just to watch the short. Uh, it was just that good. It's not uh, that it breaks the laws of uh, CG graphics and goes somewhere we've never seen before in a way that uh, you know, is uh, worthy of um, a SciTech Oscar so much as it just it's a really enchanting, simple idea told very well by somebody who clearly has the knowledge of or self-confidence i guess to not uh to not blow it in terms of um yeah overplaying something that doesn't need to be overplayed yeah it's just really really great cg uh, animation anyway uh, enough of that hey um jason where can people find out about your production company and 
follow you? Uh, my website, thediamondbros.com, and on the Twitters at Jason Diamond, one word. And uh, just to do a plug for our new venture that finally launched uh, officially before, just before NAB, Frame.io, for all your online digital collaboration needs. Yes, and it's been proven to be very successful, hasn't it? I've heard really good things about it. Yeah, we have uh, 20-some-odd thousand people on board right now. Well, brilliant. I hope that continues to go well. And you, Matt? I am on the Twitters as Matt D. Leonard, though I seem to be posting more pictures of Vancouver than actually saying things (laughs) at the moment. But that's where I am. I'm at uh, Mike Semmel. We also have um, the VFX show as a Twitter handle and uh, its own feed. Hey, and as I said a couple of times during the show, and I just want to repeat it again now, we love it when people post things, um, good and bad. We don't necessarily always uh, talk about them, but it's great. You know, some people's point of views are uh, maybe different to ours, but we love hearing them no matter what they are, and it's great. Um, also, <laughs> also, we love hearing, as we did last week, uh, from uh, the VFX supervisor of a film that we're discussing, pointing out that I got something wrong. Uh, which in this case was we were discussing Mad Max and I was saying that the drone was used for uh, the uh, the cliff faces of the Citadel. I was completely wrong. They uh, they did that from a traditional helicopter. They did use exactly that drone, but it was for surveying other areas. Um, I crossed the drone flying story, which was all true. The bit I said about the drone was all true. It just wasn't literally used for the walls of the Citadel. That was um, uh, Andrew hanging out the side of a helicopter photographing in the Blue Mountains because, as Andrew pointed out, the drones don't work so well in very vertical things as they tend to fly overhead looking down. And that's exactly what you wanted in the vertical sides of the Citadel. So if you're the VFX supervisor of a film and we've reviewed your film and you think we've got something wrong, by all means, send me an email and, uh, and set us straight and I will try and uh, make sure my research is tighter uh, on upcoming films. But I had lunch with Andrew yesterday and, uh, yes, he, uh, he pointed out my mistakes. Thank you so much, guys, for being with us and uh, listening on the show. We uh, really, really appreciate it, as, as always. And uh, we have a lot of fun doing this show, and we've got some really good films coming up, as we've already indicated. We don't know if they're going to be good or bad yet, but uh, we've got the previews lined up, we've got the notes lined up, we've got the experts lined up, and we'll bring them all to you right through the summer here at uh, FX Guide. In addition to thanking uh, you, I'd also want to thank our team behind the scenes. Uh, so David, who uh, does our editing, uh, Ian, who does our research, uh, Todd, our, our producer. We really appreciate that. And from me, Mike Simmel, thanks so much for being with us. Until next time, see you. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at vfx at fxguide.com. Copyright 2012, FX Guide, LLC.